Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Thank you all for attending. It's your eyes, your ears, your attention that's really moving things forward. Couldn't do it without you. We've made a lot of progress and I want to really start formalizing some of the data we've been collecting, making sure it's accessible to you. And then let's start crunching it. Because as I've been alluding to, there's so many good statistics that can be calculated. And I feel each statistic has a myriad of insights that you can think about and glean from. How do you actually value those insights? Hard to say, but one could argue that, you know, knowledge is power and, you know, what's knowledge, but maybe knowing about the world, how do we know about the world? One could argue we could use statistics. So potentially, if you follow the logic back, statistics is power. So what can we do to help out in the cannabis industry? Can calculate statistics to our heart's content. And just doing that kind of small, quirky, sometimes tedious work, even if it seems irrelevant, I argue is really moving things forward. So anywho, that, those are my thoughts for today, but it's a meetup after all, and I, I'm not here to steal the stage. So if any of you ever have any good ideas, thoughts, comments, questions, you're always welcome to put them forth. Because for example, last week, Robert had this phenomenal question about lab tests that really got us thinking. Then Ruth did an excellent job about explaining the current state of lab testing, some of the issues, why they matter. And we even then began just, you know, spitballing solutions. I kind of wanted to pick up a little bit in that vein this week, as well as share with some data with you. But Candace, I know your rig may get put to some good use here in the short to near future as start making some of these algorithms more generally able to run. But how are you doing <laughs> on your work? I'm doing great. Thank you, Keegan. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, Keegan, that sounds great. You know, um, also true. You know, I could, uh, if I'm going to be filling up my 12 terabyte, right, once we get all the data kind of in one place, I can easily, uh, dupe it and then send you the exact, you know, send you uh, an external hard drive that you can just attach to your laptop too. So. Ooh, it's so funny you mentioned this. I should have been keeping my ear a little closer to the ground, but yesterday Meta just released Llama 2. Right. And I've got a good feeling about this, right? Because, you know, Meta's been in the news lately, right? They were launched their their app threads that got to a hundred million users in a matter of days. And so, you know, they're, you know, they're coming out hot. And, you know, they're it's the it's the clash of the Titans. So it's, you know, Microsoft it has stole stolen the front stage with open AI. And so you think, you know, Meta's probably gonna, you know, come back strong. And so just from just thinking about, you know, the economic incentives, 
I could imagine that they may have put a lot of time and effort into Llama 2. And from what I can read, it's licensed under a fairly open license. Um, you know, I, I think they've got a custom license, but you can uh, look at it. I don't know how cannabis friendly they're going to be. Um, and that's how, you know, cannabis is in general. It's such a gray area. And they don't really say for certain in the, the license because it's, um, there's a, because it's, you know, it's basically, oh, you have to do things that are, you know, legal. And then it's, well, you know, is cannabis operation, are they legal? You know, uh, the states say yes. Uh, the federal government doesn't really want to, they, I guess, technically say no, but they're not interested in getting involved. Um, so it's the, actually speaking of which, it's the, the layer cake government that we have. But... No. It's really cool, Keegan, because uh, I love it that uh, Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, he is just throwing over to us this new uh, model. And we don't need an internet connection to run it either, right? So it just plugs in right into Langchain. And, you know, we should be able to pull in all the external cannabis data, right? The CSVs, the XLSs, the... Uh, um, you know, the YouTube videos, Slack, um, you know, all of your data, right, can be uh, put into private GPT. And um, I'm really excited about this. I think it's really great that that there's so much competitive at the billionaire level that they're giving us surfs free access. It's not like an API or anything. I mean, you just download it and it's and whatever you're doing with it. You know, I'm sure that if it were getting published or something out there, it'd be different. But you know, we'll stay within the letter of the law, but, you know, we're just talking about cannabis software. It's not like we're selling cannabis, so. And I actually thought about this long and hard the other day, and I think what we're doing is incredibly valuable because whether you use cannabis or not, you generally want to know, you know, what are in these products that people are consuming, right? If you're a medical practitioner, it may behoove you to know, you know, what what's actually in this cannabis that people may be consuming, um, or you know, there's endless reasons. Uh, in general, like we were saying, you know, knowledge is power. So I I generally think it's good, at least for the information to be available. You know, whether you're partaking or not, or um, or and, you know what you partake in or not. So that's good. Oh, yes. And then the other th point you raised, um, because I always get, go off on all these tangents, the principal thing that's important about this is this hopefully is a comparable model to you know, chat GPT that we can hopefully run on our own computers, like you said, for the the cost of running your computer. So just a, a, a minor amount of electricity. Um, well, maybe sometimes not so minor, but that's all there is. Um, so, um, I, make sure to to go and get your name in the hat because I think you have to request access. But I did, and within maybe two to three hours, 
got a link, uh, a download link, and I got that last evening. And um, I should have, I had, a, you know, always have a thousand things to do. So today I will download these. I think the smaller ones maybe around seven gigabytes and the larger ones around 70 gigabytes. So hopefully this is a lot of a lot of power in our tool belt and exactly so basically why do we need this we've got thousands upon thousands of certificates of analysis and just cannabis data the cannabis video and audio and we've had some cool ideas about how we can go about using this data so for example we got all the patents and we found oh you can talk with the patents and oh you can parse the data out of the certificates of analysis and it's pennies on the dollar, but pennies on the dollar add up. So we found, okay, you know, the cost of parsing a certificate may be anywhere from two to 10 cents. Well, you know, we have like 17,000 certificates that need to be parsed in Florida. And, you know, that's not the, the, the the most money, right? Some of these large cultivations and retailers, they've got much higher operating expenses, but we're trying to keep our operating expenses to a minimum. So if we can run Llama on our own computer and do the exact same thing, which is what are we after? We're after the cannabis data. So if we can get the cannabis data at a lower cost, then there's more value to be had. So. Absolutely. And you know what it is like even with some of the larger models, like because I only have 32 gig of RAM, right? And I do have the uh, 3080 NVIDIA card, but um, you know, it, I, you know, I'll have to play it. But if it, you know, if it, if it's uh, in a container too, you know, there's a way too that you can really instead of just running everything in RAM, it, it's it's pretty interesting. So you know, and even then, if I just get all the external data embedded into the vector database, then I should just be able to upload. Cause you know, I have two terabyte on the cloud. It's just so difficult getting all the data uploaded to Google drive. Right. And, um, but once I did, then everybody would be able to download it pretty quickly, you know? So, and then also too, because it's already embedded that, you know, then maybe you can use, uh, you know, we'll just keep training it. We'll keep training it as part of the pipeline and um then hopefully it won't be as memory uh as much memory consumption because i really find um the embedding you know with the gpu it it, it just makes it lightning fast but you know not so much you know i haven't really been using it with the prompts yet so i don't think that it would be such a problem prompting you know without uh gpu but embedding you really really need gpu it really makes that much of a difference i love it so you're all the technical know-how that you've come by, Candice, is going to be incredibly useful as we, as, for lack of a better word, you know, fine-tune our models and our processes. Because we've got, we've got some proofs of concept, but I think we're at the stage now where it's really time to start implementing them in full. So, for example, we said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could talk with the traceability data. Let's do that, right? We've got Llama now. This is a lot of data, right? So it's really cool, right? We've got a 70 gigabyte model. We've got 
45 gigabytes of Washington State data. We've got Candace, who knows her way around some hardware and software. And, you know, why don't we actually, like I said, this is where I start to, to lose some of, this is where your computer science background really shines. But like you said, somehow, you know, superpower llama, you know, add the traceability data to it, encode it, somehow add it to the model. And then ideally, you know, we could, you know, just talk. We could say, you know, and it'll be interesting to find out what questions can we even ask. You know, it may not be super great at doing statistics, or it may or may not. We could say who who has the highest sales in Washington State. Um, and then this is this will just be new ground and new territory because you know it may be really good or maybe really bad at doing statistics like that, but then it may be really, really good at doing other tasks. So you could say, you know, here's um, a list of product names. Could you find all the strain names? So that's that's a common task we have. So so that's something that I think the model would be really good at. Like I said, I think we've done this in the past. I think these models are going to be pretty good at strain name generation. So if you just need a creative name, that's low hanging fruit. But but this is actually where all of you have opportunities, right? This is untrod ground, right? You're pioneers. This is just this brand open wild frontier so right no one's really trained a large language model on the entire population of traceability data in washington state and then started to pick its brain um I mean, we can uh scrape pubmed cannabis data just like everybody else's too i mean that's something we really haven't included yet but you know that would really help too Ooh, I, I love it. And that's that's really where we should be going is basically making it a, a cannabis expert. And just like I said, just basically feed it. That's what I would love to do if we can if we can pull it off. Just feed it everything cannabis and then, you know, they'll see what happens, um, you know, see if, uh, if you know, it's becomes, quote unquote, you know, like a cannabis expert. So, you know, like I said, you know, we, we let it you know, read all of the Canvas data science meetup transcripts and let it read everything about cannabis on PubMed. Let it look at all the cannabis traceability data. Um, so, <laughs> like I said, at it, it, the very least, it'll just be a fun exercise in computer science. And, you know, could really, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, statistics and knowledge is power. You know, we may unearth just, you know, an extraordinary amount of knowledge that, you know, I mean, let's face it, the, the cannabis industry, I think a lot of people were, you know, forecasting that, you know, it would be kind of generally permitted by now i think a lot of businesses were structured that way i think a lot of businesses were thinking like okay you know we're maybe in a little bit of a gray market now 
like back in 2018 to 2020 or so, but you know things are growing and it looks like you know maybe one day we'll at least be permitted at the federal level so that way you know people can use banks and just just in general just operate like a normal business and so people were you know taking out loans and you know trying to weather the storm i don't think anybody anticipated that you know here in 2023 the the legal I don't know, I guess this is debatable, but in a way, the, the legal state is similar to, to 2018, where, you know, the the states have permitted it, but, you know, the, the banks, I think there's some state banks that, that allow it, but I think maybe even some of the, the larger banks are maybe even becoming increasingly uh, frowning on cannabis. I know that like, some of the big tech companies, they're slowly coming around. Um, for example, you know, LinkedIn has been a little bit cannabis friendly, and then that had an influence on Twitter. But I, I've, there are cannabis companies on like Instagram, but I know they always have trouble there. Um, so, but, um, but, but anywho, I'm just kind of kind of rambling. Um, so I'll pass it off to, to any of uh, you because now's the time to kind of get your thoughts out there um, and then I'll actually kind of share with you you know what this big body of data looks like and what insights a human can find by just scraping the surface and then we can just wonder what the, the large language models can do but before I ramble any further Robert any thoughts comments questions anything on your mind um just building on last week uh, i was curious let's say you know looking at the uh different uh scores from the different labs i guess it could be interesting to do some sort of analysis of variance and then to see if you know certain labs would skew one way or another just across the board with different metrics that they report on and, and different uh, uh, um, different companies or, you know, cannabis companies that they test, it, you know, just uh, that seemed pretty interesting uh, just as an open-ended question, you know, but uh, it's just something to really think about that, you know, when these various labs, you know, have this tendency to overinflate some of their scores, um, you know, it, it's, it makes for interesting reading material when you see some of the articles that are out there. I like a point you brought up there where you may have to sort of add, you know, condition upon condition in this case, um, because the, the variance, uh, okay, so it's going to be all over the board and for some natural reasons and that's where a lot of the hand waving comes in right because it's cannabis right it's this um, mercurial plant um so and you know just kind of measuring things oh awesome so basically 
you know, measuring is the name of the game, right? Um, Gosh, I was just uh, hearing something about uh, measuring, but I, I don't, I haven't ingrained it enough to uh, to drive it home. But you know, measurement is basically at the heart of of science, right? Right. You get a good, you know, scientific question, um, or or even in engineering, you know, you have to measure. So you know, it all comes down to to the measurement. Um, so how people are measuring it, you know, and then there's variation there. What are they measuring? So are they, you know, the cannabinoids, terpenes, pesticides, the moisture? Um, so that, that matters, you know, when are they testing this? So, so that's something that I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, um you know say when is a product tested versus when is it sold and you know we've talked about this a little in the past where you could kind of conjecture um you know can cannabinoids kind of naturally degrade so you could kind of say oh something's been on the shelf for eight months and you could estimate that maybe it's you know a certain percentage of its original concentration so you know the original point is can you look at variants by labs Yes. Can you look at variances by analytes? Yes. I I'd like to add something here. Yes, please. I, I think this I don't is, know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an absolutely fantastic question, and it's an area that I'm really, really interested in. And so part of the problem with what you're asking is trying to establish a baseline for what can we expect for a certain strain. So if we look at a strain and we say, okay, um, we think that it's on average 20%. You know, well, if we look at that same exact strain and, and all the different tests that have been done for it, we're going to see a variance of probably 15 to 25% or perhaps even more. And the question is, is how much of that variance is truly variance in the actual plant versus fudging or bad, you know, fake stuff? And then there's things going on where the lab is testing legitimately, but, and I know someone who's addressing this issue specifically, the way that the, so uh, the growers have their samples and they send them to a lab to be tested. Well, this whole process of which samples do they send, they have a batch of a product. That's and and there's different limits in different states. In California, I believe it's 50 pounds is the maximum size per batch. So you now you have 50 pounds of cannabis, and you need to pick a sample from those 50 pounds to send to the lab. Well, how do you get that sample? Are you going to pick the low lying leaf that's very low in terpenoids or in uh, cannabinoids, uh, in uh, trichomes rather, or are you going to pick the primo bud? And a lot of places are even leasing their samples. And this is all, you know, and so you can legitimately send it to the lab and that normally 20% is now testing at say 35%. And, you know, there's so many different factors to tease out there. And this is one of the big questions that I've been wondering is, is if we can, you know, 
hone in on a particular strain and look at the variance, how much of that is natural, how much of it is, you know, manageable, because from a user perspective, you don't, if you're looking to have a specific experience, you don't want that 15 to 25% variance. If you want the 20% number every time you buy a plant in order to get predictable results. And so the industry would like to narrow that down, but so many different things in the process, including good, you know, benevolent types of things, problems in the procedures, but also nefarious activity. There's so much in there. You said it incredibly well, Ruth, and you brought up some some good points that I couldn't quite articulate. And I think it was basically, you know, like, you know, what are you measuring? And so that's where where sampling is so incredibly important. And the the really good scientists really hammer this home when you're talking to you know good chemists or you know good lab directors. They definitely pinpoint this or even good cultivators, they definitely pinpoint that as the primary weakness. But it's just not like a, a glamorous part of the supply chain. You know, at the, you know, the regulatory meetings, you know, it's just more glamorous to talk about, oh, you know, we need uh, the, the mass spectrometer and oh actually you know we should actually be testing by gc gcms you know it, it's those are like the highfalutin conversations but really at the day it's okay who who's driving to go pick up the sample you know are are they sampling it themselves you know these are just it's just not like a like a glamorous conversation but it's just the the most important it's like who's actually getting the sample you know is it the cultivator or is it you know someone at the laboratory because as we just pointed out then if it's somebody at the the cultivation well they have the incentive to pick say the the choicest buds or the choicest flowers or i've heard situation once again this is all just uh, hearsay allegations but someone in Oregon was complaining that oh people would pass pesticide testing and then they would just send in the sample that passed pesticide testing over and over and over again for for different batches once again that may be just entirely just uh fictitious they may just be just pulling something out of their hat but I think this is a critical point. I don't know for certain, but I think some states that are passing newer testing regulations are taking this into consideration. So double check me on this, but check out the state of New York. I've got a sneaking suspicion that they may have samplers there. Um, I so believe they do. I've talked to someone in New York who he, what he does is online education, but also education in general. And one of the things that he started with was training samplers to go out and actually gather the samples that are going to be, you know, then sent to the labs for testing. And I mean, obviously some states allow the cultivators to choose the samples and others require an independent sampling person 
Um, so it, now they may they might be corruptible. I don't know, but all of this is very interesting, and it's all it will be interesting to see how it all plays out and how well the system ends up working because there's enough variation in the plant itself that when we're dealing with all this other stuff on top of that, it I think the problem becomes really intractable for consumers who are trying, as I said, trying to get a consistent experience. Yes, I think this is what we need to spend more time thinking about. And I mean, just just my my thought just now is, you know, if you are say getting a the whole point about the lab testing is you're getting a third party to independently test your products. Well, the sampling is part of the test, one could think, right? right? When we we're doing statistics, you know, gathering the sample is the very first step. So, you know, when you're doing a, an analysis of cannabis, the very first step is getting the sample. And that's, I think, what people have argued in uh, Oregon is if the very first step is compromised or untraceable then basically the, the argument is the whole chain of custody is uh, is no good right because it's like uh like you said if you know and this is what candace candace always uh, reminds me you know garbage in garbage out so <laughs> and, it, and it's particularly true in this case except it's, it's the opposite right it's uh uh primo in primo out um so and though if you just think about the economics of it the only other alternative is what some people have suggested in washington state and that's just i've heard i've heard cultivators make this argument and it's under the current rules it's the most economically logical is just let people pick the choicest buds because it's basically like you know if you're actually letting them pick themselves some people are going to be picking the choicest buds so why not just have everybody pick the choicest buds but but then that negates the whole point of this testing is to have a representative sample for the consumer um and i mean this this is goes back to to statistics you know the, as you begin the taking a statistics course, a nice dry, dusty statistics course, unless you get a fun professor, they're going to really drive home the very first principle is sample versus population. We could test the entire population of the cannabis plant. We could take the entire plant, grind it up, and put it on the HPLC but then there would be nothing left to give to the consumer. So you have to just take a sample of it. You know, you have to just take a, a bud. And then, you know, as soon as you start sampling from a population, you're going to have an, um, a residual, you know, uh, an, an error. Um, things are going to become a, an approximation immediately. Um, and so then, you know, how, how do you combat this? Well, one, you want to increase your sample size. And in, I think in California, they're trying this. And so, for example, I was 
I don't know how I got looking around at this, but I, yeah, yeah, I started looking around at batch size in California. It's funny you bring that up. So it was like, oh yeah, the, the maximum batch size is 50 pounds. And I think I was looking at some labs website and SC labs was saying that they want you to send in 14 grams. And so the whole idea behind that is, you know, you may only test 0.2 grams or so, but the idea is they want to increase their sample size and then they'll just grind that all up homogenize it um, and then they'll just pick out a tiny little piece from that right and think about it out of that 14 think about this out of the the 50 pounds of cannabis 14 grams were sent to the laboratory about 0.2 grams is then put into uh, a tiny little, um, uh, I think they call them VOAs, like uh, I think like vial of analysis. So this tiny little bottle, 0.2, and then that's put onto a scientific instrument, like an HPLC, and then just like a tiny, like the tiniest piece pieces of this are then sent through the scientific instrument. Um, so, I mean, it, it's remarkable because, you know, the, these, these instruments are, you know, talk about standing on the shoulders of giants, right? These instruments are truly remarkable. And that's why I encourage you all to, to learn more about the laboratory side and that I'm tr truly interested in, and that's what I'm learning about because you know, we talked about measuring, you know, these are people who are measuring the world, you know, the, uh, the chemist, the, the math with their, their mass spectrometers, you know, just about, you know, any organic matter, you know, or inorganic or inorganic, right. They're testing for heavy metals, just stuff, just matter in the world. They're measuring it and quantifying it. And, the whole idea is yes, it's an approximation, but if you actually let the scientists do their job, they can do a remarkably good job. Um, just you know, just st sending just particles of of this cannabis plant through the instrument, they can determine okay, you know, there's about I don't know twenty percent of this uh, tetrahydro. The uh, cannabinol molecule in this plant, um, and then you know that information can then make it to you, the consumer, and then once again, then you're you know then it's back to approximation. Then you oh maybe you put uh, about a a third of a gram in a bomb uh, and let that rip, or, or you know put it into uh, some some butter and make some cookies or whatever you have. Um, so, so anywho, I kind of went on a long-winded tangent, but I think this is all really cool, in, instrumentally important, and yes, there's going to be tons of variants and a ton, tons of ways things get wrong, can go wrong, but as much as possible, 
if we can let the the scientists actually you know do like go through the scientific process without you know tying their hands behind their back and saying actually you can't even you know sample the cannabis plant um you know i, I think we could get a better outcome but but i any thoughts comments questions to piggyback on that before i i pick up with with a with a curveball from left field Ooh, please Candace. Well, this is off base, but you know what, Keegan? I am so excited with this private GPT. I'm already thinking about the Canlytics hybrid data center. And I even went and kind of was looking at some use racks. You know, we'll need some RAID and, and you know, lots of memory, nice server rack in there too. But uh, I, this could be pretty big. I, I'm really excited, you know? And I really think too, though, that keeping the Canlytics data maybe a bit privatized in the hybrid data center may not be a bad idea either. And then, you know, you have your API for access and, uh, but I don't know, you know, but I'm excited about it. I'm real excited about this llama. Bravo, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I love healthy competition with the billionaires. I love it when they throw us, uh, surf some crumbs, you know, <laughs> it just makes life so much better for us. <laughs> Being able to, you know, stay in the game without, you know, having to spend so much money too with GPT-4. And then somebody was telling me in LinkedIn also that GPT-4 actually, they are using reinforcement learning because, you know, I was kind of thinking of uh, chat GPT-4 is never really having any conscious, right? Consciousness um, because of the fact that I didn't think reinforcement learning was used. So, you know what, that's something we're gonna need too to add into our pipeline as we start training our model. I'm just so excited about it. And I have some friends too in that technical skill shares group and they do DevOps. And there's this guy in Boston. He is a genius with DevOps and, you know, Kubernetes, uh, Docker. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited because I know he's going to want to come on board with the ML DevOps, right? And I don't know. I just, the future just seems so bright today. I just can't stop smiling. <laughs> I love all the things you just brought up, Candace. One, I love your go get them attitude about setting up some servers and getting this data to people because I I foresee a, a, a bright, awesome future there too. Because, you know, like it, like you said, like maybe, uh, of course, you may have to earn a few bucks, uh, you know, um, if you're putting together an awesome API and putting it, I'll have to together. start working for money. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because, it, you know, I started looking at the pricing. You know, even with used equipment, it's still, you know, pretty pricey. But I would start with a small rack and then, you know, just have a server raid, you know, you know, the network. And then, you know, we can always build from there. But I, I think my laptop will be good for a bit. You know, we have 12 terabytes. We have the NVIDIA. We have the 32 gig of RAM. We and, can augment. And it's good to get this into people's hands, right? This is what, what people want. It, and they need to be able to digest this data because it's, it's undigestible at the moment. Um, and I, I can uh, start showing you some of that, but a quick analogy here and a principle from economics. And I wish there was a better comparison because, you know, I'm not like a, a soda drinker, you know, I, I drink tea and coffee, but in economics, uh, I think it's the, the Bertrand model, but a lot of uh, these industrial organization economists study market structure and that's what we started out about was just looking at how many firms are in the market 
but for you know say like uh you know facebook and microsoft and these big technology companies the one bright side about this is it's it's kind of like coke and pepsi where um it's not going to be great if you go and try to sell another soda so it's not going to be profitable necessarily to go try to sell a large language model uh, in my opinion unless you're uh you're google or microsoft or facebook but the good thing about this is the bertrand model is it argues that it'll push the price down to cost because it's basically just these two large companies competing for market share and they basically both have the same product so all they can really compete on is price and what ha ends up happening is they just push price down to cost which like i said it's not great if you're trying to sell soda but say hey if you're a restaurant and you sell food and you know you sometimes you put soda in a, a glass and give it to people well it's good for you because soda is going to be super super cheap and so it's the the age of the restaurants but in this case it's going to be like sort of the age of the data restaurants where it's all about you kind of packaging this up and delivering it to consumers um so like i said i wouldn't recommend you go try to create your own llama but i think if we we start to use them right we start to use llama and right that'll put the the emphasis on chat gpt to lower their costs the cost of using these large language models may well the cost to us may go really really low just towards the actual cost of actually running the thing right like in the llama case it's hopefully just going to cost us the the power it takes to power our computer um and so so long story short is i think it'll be it's it'll be good for us right competition's always good even competition amongst the giants um so so anywho i'm excited i'm excited but um before we conclude i guess do you want to to look at some data i i this is a, a little bit of a weird insight, but uh, if you want, I can show you like what having all this data in your pocket can can do. Um, so once again, uh, I'll, basically, I'll just share with you some of the data that I've been working with um, and then show show you where you can help out so basically you know i've been doing these public records requests for the washington state data and i think we can finally start to to curate this and make it accessible so basically what i'm doing is there's say these 22 giant inventory files and what i'm doing is you know i'm just adding 
all these data points together. So that way, you know, we have these, you know, pretty complete observations about, you know, cannabis products. Um, you know, so here's some fresh frozen flower in clones, some mature plants. Um, I saw something with Mars, some, some apple tarts. Um, so we've got tons and tons of data here. Sorry, 22 inventory files. Each one may have about half a million to a million observations. So, um, it, yes, so this is st starting to add up here. And just to kind of show you what a human can do, um, but then we have to kind of wonder what a large language model can do. This is just what I was doing this morning, and I thought that this exercise would be worthwhile showing you because this is what we could potentially do with every state, not just Washington, if they, you know, were a bit more forthcoming with their lab results. Because once again, you know, say you're a cannabis consumer and you want to learn something about cannabis. You know, let's just see if we can't just look at the data and and learn something. Um, so I was just going to to share with you basically what what I learned this morning. I mean, and here are actually my my calculations right here. But basically, the first thing I was curious about was, you know, how many lab tests are happening you know in the whole country well one thing we could potentially do is just do a and this is something that a finance professor taught me one time is if you can do a back of the envelope calculation there's you know there they can actually kind of get you in the rough Okay, he said it for this particular, he said one, it'll get you in the, the rough ballpark, and two, they're, they're actually super persuasive. Um, so basically, like, if you're in, right, this is why I heard it from a finance professor, not an economics professor, but I think it's a good uh, rule of thought. I think it's uh, an interesting, an interesting bit of wisdom or perspective. But he basically said, you know, if you're in uh, the room with some people and you can do a back of the envelope calculation, it'll be super persuasive um, and it'll kind of just move things forward. Because why do we even do statistics? It's just kind of to get a rough mental approximation of something, right? We were talking about in the beginning measurement. Right. So we're just basically trying to measure something. And sometimes the back of the envelope calculation can be a beginning point. Not saying it's the end all be all, but it's just a place to begin. And that's another uh, philosophy that we have is, is if you at least have a place to begin, even if it's bad, then you can start heading in the right direction. And this is what we I like to call the the real life gradient descent. And gradient descent is a co concept or a mathematical principle 
you people i think debate who discovered it but i think you can point some work back to, to new newton but basically it's the idea is start anywhere and generally head in the better direction and you'll wind up at least at a the a locally best so so there may be right there's maybe multiple bests right there may be a lot of different good spots but you'll at least end up at a you know the best spot in the the nearby vicinity but but okay so anywho enough of me rambling what, what can we discover from this okay quick back of the envelope calculation here so the, this traceability data has been around for about a year and a half. So this was in enact, enacted at the beginning of 2022. And we have data through the end of June of 2023. So we have about 18 months of data here. Um, and, you know, we've, right, we've got six, 61, 249 lab tests. And so I was saying, okay, you know, how many lab tests per month are there? You know, so there's around, you know, 3,400 lab tests per month in Washington state. And then I was saying, you know, what is the population of Washington? And once again, this is not going to be apples to apples because all the states have different testing regulations, but, you know, so I just looked up the population of Washington. And then the thing we've been doing is just saying, oh, um, how many dispensaries per 100,000 people? Um, and so, oh, whoops, I may have missed, messed this up. Um, divided by. So basically what I'm trying to figure out here is, you know, on average, how many lab tests per month per 100,000 people are occurring in Washington. So, you know, about 44 lab tests per 100,000 people. And then I realized, well, just once again, it's, it'll be an approximation because every state has different testing rules, but you could kind of, you know, go through um, and start, you know, just estimating about how many lab tests would be occurring in every state per month. So this is California with 39 million people. Um, and they may be doing, right, right, just any approximations better than no approximation. Because I was kind of wondering, you know, what proportion of lab tests are we even observing there? Because we've observed a few thousand from a few different producers. And then I think we observed, I don't remember how many, maybe five or 6,000 from SC labs. But that may only be like a drop in the bucket, right? We, right, we may have only seen five or 6,000 lab results, but there may be more than 100,000 lab results per year in California. That's a lot. And I mean, that data is out there. Um, 
one would assume um right and you know they've been testing in california um maybe since 2018 maybe not but you know i mean what if there's five years of 100,000 samples it could be 500,000 lab tests in california alone um and then you know then there's you know colorado um i'm trying to think of some other states where there's been avid testing for many years but you know michigan massachusetts and then you know all the medical states you know they're uh, you know just just kind of picking some random ones out of the hat ohio and so on and so forth so tons and tons of data out there and you know why is this okay cool so there's tons of lab results well, you know why is this even important well because check this out what can you even do with this data so this is 62,000 lab results and say you're a cannabis consumer in Washington state well which I am <laughs> one thing I may be concerned about are whoops that's not what we want to do um, I thought uh, that would make the screen large but one thing that I'm concerned about are are pesticides so here I've just identified you know all the samples with with pesticides in them and so well just today I'm just going to do this kind of interesting exercise where um, we basically just look at da, 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 da. Um, so just going to look at products and in the pesticides that are in them um, because that's all I'm really interested in right so if I go to the store um, you know all I'm going to see are, are basically you know who produced it right that'll hopefully be on the bag and then you know what's in it and then of course you know you'll you'll see the the THC the THC content right the THC content and CBD contents on the label well the pesticide may not necessarily be on the label so now you know I basically augmented the information that's available at the dispensary that's awesome right I'm now like an, an empowered consumer um and you know basically say I want to avoid pesticides well you can basically just you can just sort so you can basically say okay all these products whether they may have passed or not there's there's some trace amount of pesticide there so you know so you can just immediately say you were really concerned about pesticides you can just start looking for products you know here and down um so once again this isn't going to be super accessible yet but that's where the idea behind these say the large language model comes in what if you train the model on this data 
and then you can just say say you're at the uh, the dispensary and you say hey you know does this bubble hash by alpha crux have any pesticides in it and it'll just say no no pesticides were detected um and then you could say right and this could all just be natural language right it's a natural language model so this is what we wanted to 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 make available we want to we just on your phone just say hey i'm at retailer x i'm looking at um um this ethanol concentrate were, were there any pesticides detected and they're like there was a trace amount of biphenazate detected but it did pass quality control testing and so then you can say and it was like oh and there was also acetone ethanol and isopropanol detected in this concentrate maybe all at all at minor levels and then you're like uh i'm gonna go with the bubble hash you know and, and that's that's what i would do as a consumer right there's two products that's all the information you see at the retailer and if you ask the bud tender like you said like you know maybe they'll get out the certificate but you know they may or may not be have all this information and that's where we kind of talked about last week where these large language models it's like asking thousands and thousands of experts right the budder is a cannabis expert so to speak but you know they only have so much you know knowledge so much bandwidth so we can augment that but um so that so that's the main point i wanted to drive home um there was other stuff here i kind of wanted to talk about um is as far as uh these pesticides go but what do you think uh are you interested in me pointing out a sticky issue or just uh maybe had your heart's content for for today so i'll leave it up to you do you want more or what what are your thoughts more okay okay well i'll just guide you through my 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 reasoning here and you may call me a data miner um so this is maybe not how you should the best way to go through the scientific process right typically you want a research question first before you just start going and pawing through data but basically my my question was okay what like you know what pesticides are being used and why and unfortunately i guess by who and on what products and so we started scrolling through these the pyrethrins i think are hotly contested um so i'm not going to poke into those too much yet because i but obviously we can see they're they're heavily detected um i've heard some some debate about whether these are natural or unnatural and um i encourage you to look into this because obviously this is 
showing up in cannabis products. Um, but I think there's more to the more to that story. So pyrethrins will be for another day. But um, what, I was scrolling through here, and we we've, we've talked about piperennial butoxide, and there's tons of piperennial butoxide, and then ton, ton, see tons of it, um, and see this is where just kind of visualizing the data can can really get you a an understanding of it. I want to say piperennial butoxide may be permitted. Um, but once again, not at high levels. But once again, I started scrolling down here and I started saying, okay, is there another pesticide that's being used at high numbers? And look at this. This one's maybe not as much as piperennial butoxide, but I was just curious. I just kind of picked one out of the hat. Like this one looked kind of prevalent you know what what what's paclobutrazole and so basically i went over to our our handy dandy chat gpt and basically i just said you know what's what's paclobutrazole and it, look at this this is something that's been that's crossed my radar but I, I cut more than once and I maybe hadn't paid it enough heed. What I think is going on here, I've just kind of heard like to talk on the town that, oh, people will kind of use this disparagingly, but these they call them PGRs, plant growth regulators. From my understanding, heavy application of the plant growth regulators make the cannabis buds like thick and dense. Once again, I don't know how much truth this there is to that, um, but uh, you know, if you just look at the the quick description here, and one one thing uh, I love to do with ChatGPT is, oh, you know, can you? make this a you know super short summary <laughs> so right because chat gpt likes to be a, a little verbose <laughs> shorter, shorter. <laughs> um so that is maybe too short but basically it just says oh it just results in shorter more compact plants and as i said i think in cannabis, people use them to get really, really dense buds. And I think that they're they're criticized because it's it's kind of it maybe like kind of like like cheating because it's just uh, you, you know, maybe instead of having, you know, proper technique and really good lighting and you know, all these different environmental controls to grow a healthy plant, you're kind of just spraying it with this. Um, with this chemical that just makes the plant just really dense. Um, and I think, and once again, this is where, you know, you know, measurement and science kind of take us like, you know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Um, I think that's 
up the, the debate. But the point being is, um, it's it's prohibited. And so in Washington, because this is kind of what I was wondering is, you know, in Washington state, they're, they're screening for pesticides, but I was wondering, you know, are these pesticides actually permitted? And, and so here's like, and this is kind of what I got to wondering is, I wonder, you know, if licensees are like seeing like the this pesticide list here um, and saying like, oh, you know, here are the action levels for pesticides. And, you know, maybe as long as we stay below 0 0.4, maybe what's this, parts per million? Maybe if we just stay below 0 0.4 parts per million, you know, we'll be, we'll be okay. But from what I can tell, I don't think you're, you know, you're allowed to use these um and you know i just wanted to to kind of just say okay you know what what's going on here and so if you look at this and see this is what's what's cool about see excel is you know sometimes an underrated tool but see look at this so the you know, there, it looks like there may be, you know, a handful of companies here who may be using this plant growth regulator. But it looks like there's the, you know, one company in particular. Um, and there actually may be, uh, yeah, there's one column here. Uh, oh, yeah, this failure rate column. See, some of these are failing quality assurance testing but some of them are passing and what i'm worried here is that the ones that are passing you know they may be using a, a prohibited and once again i'm just conjecturing here just from what i've seen looking at the data but you know it it's possible that you know they may be using a prohibited plant growth regulator um, and, you know, they may just be just willing to accept the fact that, you know, some of their tests will fail quality assurance testing as long as, you know, some, you know, some of them pass. And so maybe the ones that pass, the buds are so much denser that it that it just makes up for the cost of failing. And if you look at this so it once again not to point any fingers but this one farm keeps coming up for detections um and uh, i want to uh, uh i if you if you look at the the time stamps of these it, it's all from you know, the past year, year and a half. So this is all since uh, 2022 um, up till potentially the, the, the present. Um, and what you see here, so it's a lot of this farm 
and they're making flour. And then what you see down here is look at this. These companies, right? You've got infused doing concentrates, um, JBM doing concentrates, Triagonal Industries concentrates. You know, these companies may just be sourcing their, their cannabis from, and once again, I'm just conjecturing here, but what it looks like to me is these processors may be sourcing their material from flour that that may be contaminated with uh, paclobutrazol and then uh, as we know when you make concentrates sometimes you concentrate down the pesticides and so that's why they may also be getting detections here and so you see once again some of them pass and some of them fail um so so that that's the main thing and then i bet I, you could use that data because it's they're they're collecting information from everyone in the supply chain and that's a really interesting hypothesis and i bet you could track back and look to see who they're buying from because whoever sold the product had to record that transaction exactly and so all that data is there so we could actually confirm and what would be really would be really really interesting is to trace it back and see if the grower passed their test but as you said when it got concentrated in the extraction process then the less than threshold amounts became greater than threshold amounts once the flour was concentrated into extract i love how you're thinking ruth and basically this is almost like a, a forensic data scientist yep. yeah <laughs> because the data is there but i want to say it's possible but sometimes tracing this data especially between transfers is ridiculously hard but it may be possible so where there's a will i'd always like to say there's a way but when there's missing data sometimes that way uh, gets blocked but that's that's i think an interesting oh, this may have frozen um but that's i think an interesting i mean this is an observation right we've basically observed someone growing flour and it's got paclobutrazol in once again not pointing any fingers it was possible it's uh, not their fault and it's just you know background and then once again it easily could not be these uh, the processors' fault, right? We could maybe look at the the supply chain and say, like like Ruth conjectured, maybe their source flower passed, and then uh, and then they just failed their concentrate testing. And once again, these companies may have already figured this out themselves. So maybe Mfused already figured figured out why they failed and or actually they passed in this case um but uh you know maybe some of these processors uh like ben's park maybe they they've already pinpointed oh this is the source of our contaminant you know this is this is why it 
uh, failed. But who knows? They may not have figured this out yet. You know, this is why we like to think that everybody's looking at the data and they, you know, they know as much as we do. But a lot of this is untrodden ground. And um, technically, technically, the Cannabis Commission should be doing these analyses. But my experience has been that the regulators aren't doing any enforcement of any of, of much of anything. And some of the states are trying to shut down some of the illegal either growers or dispensaries, but as far as enforcing the regulations, like the lab tests and stuff, I don't know how much is going on. Well, then too, you know, you're talking about the United States government, right? You're not <laughs> talking about a high tech company or even a high tech uh, organization like Canlytics. Um, but, uh, you know, they want to, the uh, in Massachusetts, they want to start their own data center. They want to hire all these data scientists and software engineers, but you know what? It's the government it's bound to fail. And, you know, again, too, Keegan's really onto something here, Keegan, because, you know, again, if uh, the, what is it, Pac Lobu Trazol, <laughs> if the uh, boiling uh, temperature is higher than THC, then again, we're going to run into high numbers building up in concentrates, right? And, and wow, did you nail it, too, by finding that it's on the do not use list. And, um, I don't know. I think this is really good data. And and it's interesting, too, because now we have another death in the cannabis industry from trimmer, another trimmer death. And then they're trying to, like, blame it on the woman being 60. But you know what? 60 is a new 40, baby. And, but she had COPD. Uh, you know, 60 is not elderly. And, but she, um, had, she had COPD. Yeah, but you know what? I'm 62. I used to have a pro-air inhaler, too. And, um, you know, if they had ventilation in yes. those, where those yes. trimmers were, because I go yes. to the Summit Lounge in Worcester, Massachusetts, and it's not like I have to even wash my clothes when I get home. The ventilation wow. is not good. Whereas if I were to go to a bar to watch a Patriots game, my clothes would be disgusting with smoke and it would have to go right into the wash, right? That's how good ventilation is. And that's a Worcester, Massachusetts social uh, lounge. But, um, this is really good stuff. And, and you know, since these deaths, and the reason I bring it up is because, Keegan, Florida truly started it. They're no longer publishing absolute values for pesticides and additives. And that's since the deaths. I mean, you know, like we can really go and look at it and see, like, when the death was and then look at when the COAs and uh, uh, compliance certificates changed to no longer provide absolute values, right? Because it looks to me, you know, we'll need to get another set of eyes on it, but it appears to me that they really stopped after Lorna McMurray died. But um, again, you know. I'll just chime in and say, the glass half full approach is a, never, <laughs> The, the, the saying, once again, it's a it's a it's a brutal saying, but it's the brutal saying is never chalk up to malice where you can chalk up to stupidity, <laughs> um, or in this case, a lack 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 of knowledge. That may be a better way to put it, because it's instead of saying, oh, the say the Washington State trace uh, the Washington State regulators are malicious, like like Candace said. They may just be short of, actually, they are. Um, 
Washington State. It's uh, not that I think they're malicious because actually Washington State has it all going on by, you know, offering open data sets. I guess I'm, maybe I might use this and then, you know, the other pesticide too that had to build up a concentration, concentrates and really try to get Massachusetts to just start, you know, providing additives used to patients that purchase state product. But, you know, I just want it to be safe for patients and workers. But, but I agree 100%. Um, basically, you're 100% you're right, I think both of you, in that this is a very serious topic and subject. And that's why we're kind of researching this, right? We're at the, the frontier and there's knowledge to be discovered. Washington State, right? One could argue that, you know, maybe their, their regulators should be pawing through this data, but the governments move slow. And, you know, they're, they're, they're currently hiring uh, a data consultant. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just uh, maybe a little ahead of the curve, right? We've already got the data set. We've already, you know, we've already augmented it and standardized it and have begun analyzing it. You know, a similar thing in Massachusetts. Um, maybe they're just not excited about the public seeing the data because maybe they haven't looked at it themselves. Maybe they're well, like... <laughs> they have said publicly, uh, Marion McNabe and, and uh, that other gal from the uh, uh, one of the other labs in Massachusetts, not the ones that offer COAs, right? They were essentially said the public is too stupid to understand the data. And that is just because, you know, they, uh, you know, the Massachusetts CCC, they've been, I've been seeing the job ads and I really don't know how they expect with the low pay. It's not even like a true government job either that they're going to get any data scientists worth their salt working for them. So, you know, all you have to do is just be open with the data. And there's so many people in Massachusetts who do understand data science and high tech that are all raring to go to look at this data too, but they choose to keep it close. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm going to give away at that. Everything about cannabis for as far as the regulators goes about control. And this is in general, the government has approached cannabis from we're going to, if we're going to do this, we're going kicking and screaming and we're going to control everything as much as possible. So I'm not surprised by any of this. Well, I've already been telling patients too, that you really need to start growing your own or, you know, start uh, finding someone you trust because honestly, the, you know, since I've been back in Massachusetts smoking my homegrown and I have no longer been smoking Florida state weed because uh, I'm a snowbird and I have not bought, even though I renewed my card, I have $250 worth of credits. I don't even think I want to buy Massachusetts weed. And the reason why is because my lymph nodes, after months of reaction doing Massachusetts cannabis and then Florida cannabis, I come back here to homegrown that's over a year old, but you know, it's got humidity packs. So it, it, the buds are like, I just pulled them off. I just dried them a few weeks ago. Right. And, um, but I don't really think it's safe. And you know what? It, it's like, I, I need to, I might just start up like a, a medical marijuana patient group of my own up here in Massachusetts. And really, cause that's who we have to get talking about it. You know, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me because they are. It doesn't feel safe product. And it makes me sick when I do it. So 
My homegrown doesn't. I love that you're taking the initiative. You may want to get in touch with, maybe send them a message, uh, the people who put together the, the Florida medical trees. Um, you could get, right, one, you could uh, join their group, and two, see, hey, can we start uh, like a chapter in uh, Massachusetts or a similar initiative in Massachusetts? Because this is what we were talking about last week is, you know, power to the people, right? In fact, especially now that we've got these large language models, I think it's uh, the, the opposite, right? I think it's uh, the public are now the experts. Um, and so, you know, the public can now uh, fill in the regulators um, instead of vice versa. Um, and then the other thing is, I think we're heading in the right direction, right? And this is one of the reasons why we host this group is even if we can, you know, add one molecule to the picture, you know, today it was paclobutrazole, then I think we're moving things in the right direction because, as I said, there's been some talk about this. It's been super informal that just in forums that, oh, you know, you know, people are using plant growth regulators to, oh, to get dense buds, oh, and oh, it makes them harsh. Um, and, oh, you know, some people say that, oh, you know, when they say smoke cannabis flower, they can tell if a plant growth regulator is used. And so it's not impossible that, I mean, once again, I'm just conjecturing, we don't know, but it's not impossible that a large percentage of Florida flower is being treated with plant growth regulators. And if you look at the the wikipedia and talk about power of the people right wikipedia is just a database of human knowledge so right. can they have a can of wikipedia i think there is um i'll have to get some links but uh the point being is um where, where is my point here the power to the people yes you know so well the pesticides so does massachusetts uh see that's the thing too see like at least florida was telling us the pesticides that they had in their product you know up until like around when lorna died and um but massachusetts doesn't provide anything except for like a couple hokey charts you know on their website and, and I, I don't know, you know. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think basically what I was. Um, oh yes. Just check. Okay, I'll just put together my final thoughts, and then we can can wrap this up. But, but the Wikipedia on the paclobutrazole, right? So ChatGPT didn't know yet, but apparently Wikipedia was saying the boiling point was around 460 degrees Celsius. So once again, that's just crowdsourced knowledge from the people. But once again, that would be too high to boil off for, for concentrates. And then, you know, if you do further reading about uh, this substance that, oh, you know, people are spraying it on golf courses. So it, it seems to maybe be some sort of plants must love it because it seems that, you know, plants grow really dense with it. But I think maybe the research is out about maybe how healthy that is for humans to consume. 
Um, but Especially medical patients, right? Because, you know, I don't live on a golf course because also, too, I know that Roundup causes Parkinson's disease. There's a huge lawsuit over it, right? And, um, and then because it's medical. So, you know, I have doctors telling me, you know, start looking for organic non-GMO food. Be careful what, you know, you are what you eat. Even fasting for extended fasting can help, you know, with cancer and, and other things too. You know, it, it's just that, see, it'd be one thing if it were maybe just recreational, right? But this is cannabis for medical patients. This is cannabis too for cancer patients, right? The 60 grams in 90 days. You know, they just really, it, it, it burns me a bit. It does. It just burns me a bit, Keegan, that, that the state is just ruining it. It might be hurting patients, you know, all because they want to hoard the data and not share it. That's kind of what I, I think, feel. I think my my final thought is I try to tie this in, but it didn't really tie in well. But you you basically raised the point that oh you you know you could grow your own and then you could at least control what's in it, um, and I think that's that's kind of what it comes down to is you want to know what you're consuming right we talk right you want to measure what you're consuming and so if you grow it your own you can make sure that no plant growth regulators were applied but i guess the problem is maybe not everybody can grow their own and so exactly and patients can't grow their own i would never have been able to grow my own when i first started it i didn't do it until i was 57 it, and it wasn't until i got better right that i could actually grow and um but the thing is it's patience so you know i i'm gonna and i can't get this data out of massachusetts i couldn't last year but this year because i did renew my card and because i want to be a patient because i'm gonna ask Relief, i'm gonna ask all these msos in massachusetts because you know i asked them last year and they blew me off nobody will tell me if the product is even radiated right so now i'm gonna ask what pests like do you have anything that's somewhat organic right or, or that's organic or that is not radiated. That might be my first question to everybody. And then I'm gonna make a spreadsheet. The companies that do not offer any unremediated product, right? And then try to find the few that do, and then maybe go somewhere with that with patients. And, um, but you know, it's just, see, when I became a patient, right? It's like Keegan, they, they, they were like, to me, they're like, oh, this is so good for you. It's so healthy. And, you know, when I was a patient, I didn't, you know, realize that they were just, they're loading it up with chemicals. They're, um, you know, they're radiating, you know, probably powdery mildewed weed is getting radiated so it can pass tests. And then it's been, we are, us medical patients are smoking it. It's just, it just doesn't seem right to me. It, it just doesn't. I get. Well, well, the jar half full. But, uh, so the, the jar half full uh, view of this is of all that Washington State data, it didn't look like there was a lot of culprits for this paclobutrazole, right? Right. We saw there was right that one farm that was really using a lot of it. And I've pinpointed a, a few farms that I've got. Once again, I, I would actually, we do have pretty good data here in Washington, but once again, I guess you don't know everything in their environment, but you know, at least you can see, okay, no detections for pesticides and, and so on and so forth. But, but I think that's, once again, not every consumer cares about this, but 
like you said, try to, you know, find some licensees that you think are growing in a, in a healthy manner or in a way that you approve of and stick to those. And, and like I was, my point earlier is you can either grow it yourself or I think the states need to be a bit more open with their data because, right. they, because if you grow it yourself, you can control what's in it. Or if, you know, you have to do rely on say a medical um, provider, like, or like a medical licensed grower, or just a, like in Washington state, just a, just a generally licensed grower. If you do have to rely on them, then the states should be pretty open with their data. That way, right, it's, either they should do both or one or the other, right? So that's uh, either allow people to, to have home grow or else let them see the data. That way they can actually know what they're consuming. And then I that think way there's there's a larger point here, and that's that you two are both very well informed cannabis users. And my experience has been, and I, I have a friend who's an advocate and has a huge following, and she tries to educate patients. And when you have people, especially older people, coming into cannabis as medical patients they're thinking about medical cannabis the same way that they think about other medications and they assume that it's safe it's tested it's completely transparent they have no idea what they don't know and we can in the industry they say well you need to be safe you need to make sure that there's no pesticides however that's kind of a an abstraction now that we actually have the data we can go out there and we can tell people there's evidence that the, the, the products have pesticides in them, that theoretically they're supposed to be pesticide free because that's what the regulators, you know, state that, you know, it has to be tested, but there's actual data showing that there's pesticides. You need to make sure that there's no pesticides. You need to ask for your COAs to make and look specifically at the line items, you know, where it says pesticides, because they have no idea how to do this. They have no idea of any of these concepts or what's going on. They, I mean, you are so far ahead of the average consumer. Well, but actually we get a lot of information from average consumers, you know, it's Reddit medical groups is what, what they do. They just turned us on to 18,000 COAs that we could scrape publicly right in Florida. I'm telling you, medical patients are pretty savvy, but then you get the CCC coming to the Worcester Senior Center and telling everybody how healthy state weed is, right? Because they're not I, giving full disclosure. I, I hear what you yeah. say, and I know that there's a lot of people out there, and the problem is, is they've been forced to be very proactive, and the knowledgeable consumers are at the front of the curve trying to push for everyone else but if you look at the masses of people behind them who still don't know what they don't know i would i it's there's so many amazing people in cannabis just like you who are savvy who are standing up for all of the other patients but again in my experience you are not typical that's all i'm I, gonna I, say i agree with <laughs> both of you in that probably the people 
in the forums in say medical trees on reddit are also kind of probably people like us you know probably the the, the cannabis experts and you know i always say we're at the frontier and you know sometimes it may see seem uh, a little scary right when you see a bear and you're on the frontier but yeah, that's to be expected um and so one i think it, there's it, there's a it's a it's a long road uphill ahead of us but i'm willing to, to keep trudging up keep trudging uphill maybe then, i should go youtube for uh, <laughs> senior 55 plus medical patients right and then maybe do make a presentation and do a little road show down to the worcester uh, senior center after the ccc came through and said how healthy marijuana will be for you compared to big pharma drugs right where you know there's so many black box warnings on those big pharma drugs that they keep pushing down seniors' throats. And, you know, it just... Uh, yeah, that's I don't know how to doctors, make doctors are like giving that. them the medications and telling them to take them. And really, the average person, I and I, I'm not trying to be critical, but I don't think you appreciate how how educated you are. And well, how I think I'm educated too because I'm a patient, right? And I replaced that. Yes, sets, Ativan, huge doses. My brother is an MS patient, and he actually had a stem cell transplant. And he's been—he knows more than any of his doctors because right. he cares more about his health than his doctors do. And he educates other people on MS and the treatments and the side effects and everything else. He is not typical. How does he do it? Does he have like a YouTube video or, you know, because that's- He has, a, web, he has a website where he's documented his whole journey. But how does he share it with other patients? He's, does he have a blog? He, he has a website, as I said, he's also active. He's in California and there's the Central Coast uh, MS Society and he's active in that. That's um, good. Yeah, and what he's- a Yeah, but- I'm telling you, he's not the typical person. And he also, he's one of the many who actually took charge of his own care because he's not just being a passive member, you know, but most people, as I keep saying, I, so many people, they don't know any better. Or they're very intimidated. My dad was a doctor and I've seen how people respond to doctors. They treat them like gods and they don't question them. And, and this is a, again, most people, they're very passive consumers of healthcare. And you are, you come across as being so articulate and so knowledgeable. And that is not my experience with the average person. And I just, I just want to put that out there for you. Well, like your brother, right? I, so I, I'm on social security disability for Parkinson's disease. And there is actually some, um, family history. So, you know, maybe I'm in early stages, but, uh, you know, I tend to think that it was just that the uh, mass general hospital went a little too stir crazy, prescribing me on way too many drugs that I never should have had. And I think that's what contributed to the tremors. And cause I was pretty bad. I mean, I couldn't drive and stuff too. And, um, cannabis is amazing. Like, you know, so the six milligrams of Ativan, uh, you know how I got off of that? Like I was on that for decades. Right. And, um, and uh, I was cold cut, but you know, uh, Garden Remedies came over with RSO, so I was doing a lot of RSO, and that helped me get through that addiction. 
And, you know, Percocets, that was, you know, after decades of daily use, three times, three X a day, that was the easy drug to kick. But the Ativan, uh, six milligrams a, a day, and the Ativan, I mean, the Ambien, the sleeping pill at night, when they cold cut me from that, the doctors, I was, I was not well. And that RSO was a miracle drug as far as like, I can understand how people get addicted because you don't think of it. You know, your doctor's like, oh yeah, take this. Oh yeah, there has no harm. It won't cause dementia. It won't, you know, but I think that I see, I've met a lot of people too that, you know, that instead of doing something really crazy, because, you know, my doctors were uh, recommending deep brain stimulation surgery. And one of my other friends with Parkinson, she had it done. And and but I didn't, you know, and I might still, yeah, I still need medical marijuana, right? But I can like dose so that, you know, it, it's not like I'm stoned all the time. And I still can't really do the sativa like Keegan likes the sativa, right? And and I should to help with creativity and stuff too. But I don't know. No, it, it's been a crazy journey. But you know what? I'm wondering like with what your brother's doing, maybe I should maybe do the same thing, you know, maybe not like be like, Oh my goodness, I'm 62. I'm all wrinkled. I can't do YouTube, but maybe that's what I need to do too, to just try to help people understand because they do and they need to ask for COAs. Cause it, you know, I thought that the medical marijuana was just some beautiful legacy miracle, right? With people that really were passionate and cared about humanity. But, you know, I've discovered, uh, you know, and then I started late in life, right? I'm 62. I started at 57. And although I never, ever smoked pot when I worked the 20 years I worked for Dell EMC or digital equipment, never, never. And um, I don't know. I'm so disappointed because it just seems like people are just rushing and corner cutting the state weed. They don't care about the health of their workers or the patients, whereas the people I have met in the legacy groups, because I, I didn't know anybody that smelled, sold pot or anything except for the state. But, you know, I went to some legacy parties here in Massachusetts and some gorgeous houses, too. And, you know, sometimes you would just kind of like pay for a ticket and then they might have raffles. Right. But it wasn't like about selling pot. It was about education. And um, I don't know. You know, I'm just so disappointed with the state, you know, compared to when I first started five years ago. It's like that in every state. And, and I, I think that the state administrators are all corrupt. And if you look at, um, I've done a lot of writing and speaking about how rec use is squeezing out medical use. Medical's just gone down the tubes. Ruth, and if are you, you on LinkedIn? I am. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try to find you and I'll send you a, do you want to connect on LinkedIn? Absolutely. That'd be great. So, I'd love to see, I'd love to read. What I just, I actually just there. put out a post because I know I've been involved in, in the education, patient education. Wonderful. And I've talked to so many people who are trying to work with patients to educate them and help guide them in their journey. And this is when I came to cannabis and my brother, I came because of my brother, he found that cannabis worked. We started using it. He's like, let's develop a technology to help other people do this. So we started mm -hmm. developing a tracking technology. We hit a wall largely because the COA data weren't available and we needed that. But, um, um shoot where is i going with this um oh so in the meantime though so that that project kind of got tabled but i've been working with so many people on this education aspect and and also the tracking and i think trying to find good product is essential 
you know, and the right product, it's essential. And information needs to be readily accessible and transparent. And okay, so as I said, most patients don't know what they're doing. And I've talked to a lot of people who are setting up organizations to guide patients. And that just doesn't work because there's no mechanism out there that will reimburse these people to educate the patients. And I just posted an analysis explaining why you can't get paid to help patients. And, and so everyone, many groups have tried this and they've all left the market because they can't get reimbursed for their services. And this is a huge problem. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but um, I also, I have a very good friend who's a TBI uh, survivor. Yeah, traumatic um, brain injury. I know that one. She uh, was a pediatric nurse and she's uh, 50s. And she said, before I came to cannabis, if you had told me as a nurse that you were you were using cannabis or giving it to your kids, I would have called uh, the Department of uh, Child Protective Services on you. She had her injury. She went from being a, uh, a nurse and a provider in the system to being a patient, and that just completely transformed her. She was called a drug seeker. She uh, was... Uh, she was on dozens and dozens of medications before she came to cannabis and ended up getting off of most of her for, of her medications. And she is pretty much completely self-taught. She's in, in Buffalo. Um, oh, she I was, thought you were going to say Nikki Lawley because she's that, on yeah. LinkedIn. She's amazing. You know, that's how you're talking about that, Yes, right? that's who I'm talking about. She's a oh, close that's who you are talking mind. about, yeah. Nikki? Yes. She's one of my contacts. She's, she's wonderful. Yeah. She started... She's in New York. She couldn't get good product. Um, she said she's tried hundreds and hundreds, probably over 500 different strains to find, trying to find products that work. She got a bunch. She's like, I have this product that works. I'm like, what's in it? She's like, I have no idea. I bought it off the black market. I'm like, send it to a lab. She's like, there are no labs. I said, let me look for you. And I looked, there were no labs where she could send her product to. So here she has no idea what's working for her. Now, during COVID, regularly she goes into Canada because she gets better product and better information there. She goes to Canada regularly. She's right on the border. COVID came and shut down the border. For several years, she couldn't get access to good product. So she was stuck using black market product and she had no idea what was in it. And she's out there on the front lines trying to, you know, get the get education, get access, get transparency. And I asked her, I said, you know, are you advocating because patients want transparency and they want this information? She said, I said, or are you asking for it on their behalf? And she said, it's the latter. She said, no one has any idea about asking for any of this stuff. And she's in Americans for Safe Access, which is, again, trying to spearhead all of this. But I taught, you know, I went to a, um, I went to a conference here in San Francisco with psychedelic people and they were all researchers. They were all pharma people essentially. And I said, yeah, I'm working on this tracking and the transparency issue, making sure that the information is available and they're total blank looks. I'm like, you, you, you understand what I'm referring to, right? And they're like, no, I said, patients have no idea what's in their product. And they gave me this, like this look like it just didn't click with them. 
So no one in the system who, no one in the traditional system understands any of these problems. And I regularly say, here are all the problems, just basic issues that exist in cannabis that you don't have in the regular healthcare industry. And they're not aware of any of it. They're not aware of any of it. The transparency, the fact that no one knows what's in their product, the fact that the doctor says, okay, you need a product with THC, CBD, CBG, and you want some limonene and you know terpinaline, and they go to the dispensary and the patient's like, yeah, this is what my doctor told me to get. And the bud tender's like, yeah, well, we don't have that. Take this product and they go home with a couple hundred dollars worth of product that ship for them. It won't work. It won't do anything. The doctor has no understanding that what he's telling the patient to get, the patient's not going to find. Because a doctor, when he prescribes a medication, the patient goes to the pharmacy. And it's all standardized. And he knows the patient's going to walk out with exactly the medication the doctor told the patient to get. In fact, the pharmacist isn't allowed to give the patient something different than what was prescribed. That doesn't exist in cannabis. Yeah, but cannabis is a plant too. It, you know, it's not like a petroleum-based pharmaceutical drug either that, you know, they're really, but, and then again, too, with the plants, like, you know, with Keegan, you know, it, it's like a, there have been, um, I've seen other people talk passionately on YouTube about um, how strains will differ, how you can actually get like COAs for Blue Dream, but you'll get like a different chemical analysis across producers. And then remember, Keegan, we had that wonderful gal with epilepsy that told us that, you know, she bought a strain, it worked great. Then she bought the same strain again, and it was completely different. And you know, so I would love to see like uh, instead of a periodic table with just the strain names on it, right, actually more with the chemical balance, you know, and then or make sure that a particular like, you know, Keegan was doing patent, right? But, you know, if we and then John, you know, with his principal component analysis, he had like, uh, you know, uh, fingerprints for all the strains, right? So then you can like, kind of like look at a blue dream and say, well, does it, you know, and see if the principal component analysis is the same with another one. And then, or actually match it up with a totally different strain and say, oh, this, they're selling blue dream, but you know what? It's really GG4, it's Gorilla Glue, you're, right? You're missing so, a point here. And okay. in, in anywhere else in our, our economy, the way things work, if you go to the store and if you buy Cheerios, and then you go to another store somewhere else, you know, even like five years ago and you buy Cheerios, those products are the same thing. In cannabis, anyone can call any product wedding cake. There is no standardization. There well, that's no what I was saying, right? And, and but even at the same time, though, that has pesticides in it, right? But at like the same up. time, you can take we can take, and you and I can take the seeds from the same exact plant. You grow them in Massachusetts, I grow them in California. And what we're gonna get is gonna be completely different because the soil's different, the, the environment's different, the climate's different. So even the same strain grown, you can go different microclimates. You can even go to- I do indoors. It doesn't matter, you can go to different parts of the same plant and get different expressions. And this is, again, it's, I'm not criticizing cannabis. What I'm saying is it's different from what you're used to 
in the way that you consume other types of products in the industry is trying to apply everything from other products into cannabis and the way they're thinking about cannabis and that fundamentally doesn't work. They need to consider cannabis and how that works and design the rules around cannabis to get the outcomes they want because they're trying to shove cannabis into a pigeonhole that doesn't fit. Well, it's a plant, you know, it, it's not a chemical and uh, it's a plant. God, God, gave I'm not saying cannabis, John D. Rockefeller gave mankind petroleum based harmful pharmaceuticals, right? It became a huge industry and you've only seen human human health decline and lifespans decline I because of I the can, new Western pharmaceutical I can, world. But I, can, I digress. I can, sorry. I think I can. I first want to applaud you both. And then I think I can tie all this together. First, I want to applaud you both for working diligently to spread knowledge because and this is going to get super meta, but I think I think this is necessary. So you raised so many good points here. And one was, oh, oh, the governments look corrupt. And I think, what does this all come down to? And I was thinking the other week, you know, what exactly, the, there's a great Monty uh, Python movie, you know, uh, the meaning of life. So, you know, what exactly is, you know, the meaning of life? <clears throat> and I think, you know, some of the, the politicians or the regulators, they've got more to learn in life because maybe they think, you know, the meaning of life is just pursuing money. Um, so that so that's really the, the base. Um, so that's what, what some people are doing. So they've got some more some more growing and learning to do in life. And then you can say, oh, you know, maybe the the purpose of life is, you know, the pursuit of happiness. And so that, that would go to, you know, the medical patients, right? They, they just want to live a happy life, right? They don't want to be debilitated by a condition or they just, they just want to get over that and get back to enjoying their life. So you could argue maybe, maybe it's happiness. And then I was thinking, well, what are we doing here? Maybe the, the, the meaning of life is the pursuit of knowledge. So, so that's kind of what I, kept thinking about as as you two were um, talking or debating this topic is what does this all come down to it's it's really just all of us trying to pursue knowledge and I was thinking about this in if if we knew everything right <clears throat> like say there was actual perfect information like economists like this assume there is yeah, the world wouldn't be any fun, right? It wouldn't be a, any fun if everybody knew everything about everything. Um, there would be nothing left to learn. And so we live in an imperfect world where knowledge is super limited. We all have a limited knowledge base. And let's face it, different people are knowledgeable about different things. You know, maybe there's a carpenter who knows a ton about carpentry maybe they just don't have much knowledge of communication or cannabis or this or that and so just for what just the way you know life took its turns you know candace and myself and ruth we just happen to have lots of knowledge about you know data and cannabis and statistics and public health and 
you know, what's the meaning of life? You know, maybe it's for us to, you know, continue pursuing our knowledge and then, you know, maybe share it with others because it sure seems that, you know, the more of this knowledge we accumulate and the more that we spread it around to other people, it seems like they're able to live better lives. It is a slow, incredibly slow process, right? And it's imperfect, right? We have to go through all these imperfections, right? We have to deal with the regulators who are pursuing money. And we have to deal with sometimes the medical professions may have imperfect knowledge. Sometimes the bud tenders may have imperfect knowledge. The consumers often have imperfect knowledge. So it's just the imperfect world we live in where nobody's got it right we're you know we're all just trying to gather information and live better lives and and that's why I, I kind of want to applaud you both because you're both doing just that right ruth right you launched a company that's doing the the traceability and tracking for consumers you're basically trying to provide people with knowledge and Candace, you're, you said you were going to start an initiative to start educating medical patients in, in Massachusetts. And you've already been helping enormously with the collection of knowledge by helping with the cannabis data science meetup. So I think that's the glass half full is, is, is everything perfect right now? Nowhere close. Is there a lot of improvement to be done? Yes. Do consumers need more knowledge? Yes. You know, do medical uh, providers need more knowledge? Yes. Do bud tenders need more knowledge? Yes. You know, could everybody in the world, you know, benefit from learning a little bit more? Probably, you know, myself included. So I think we're, what I think we're on the right path. And I think it does help pointing out the imperfections because if you don't spotlight them, then there's no way to fix them. So I think I think it's great, right? So Ruth, right? It's awesome, right? You can point out things like, you know, a lot of consumers have a, a worryingly little amount of knowledge about this. And, you know, maybe people have, the regulators have worryingly little knowledge about the medical side of cannabis. Um, and so there's, and then Candace is right, you know, you know, the consumers have worryingly little access to data. Um, so. Well, Ruth is right. You know, you're right, Ruth. It's like, it must be because I'm a, I was born an engineer. So I, I just have to know everything about everything. Like, you know, I know how to grow. I can make my own RSO and edibles. And, you know, I just always, you know, it's always curiosity. I'm so curious that, you know, I'm kind of driven to that, but, um, you know, it, we are connected on LinkedIn and I am going to pay more attention, especially to your latest article. And I'm going to look to, and if I can't find anything about what your brother's doing, I might ask you if that's okay. And uh, because I really do want to learn, I really, I'm real interested too in what you're putting out there. And because like Keegan said, but I mean, I've just been talking about, right, educating patients, but I haven't done anything about it. I haven't done a YouTube video. I haven't even been doing any blogging and you know, um, I just think it's fabulous what your brother's doing, what you're doing. If you're, if you're participating in Reddit forums, I think that you're doing more than you realize. I do more I, on Facebook. 
it's done everywhere. You're providing a lot of information that people really need. And for that, you're absolutely to be applauded. <laughs> Thanks. I need to do a YouTube video, really, really stick my uh, foot in the, <laughs> really jump into the stream. I, I love this. I love the direction we're going in. And I want to, to thank you both. So you know, thank you both you know from the bottom of my heart for coming and you know we've now spent you know two hours talking about cannabis data and how to help people so i'll let you go on and enjoy your days but i think this was an especially fruitful day today because we pinpointed just the current state of access to data where we can go with it some of the current pitfalls in the industry um and i think we've got a bright future ahead of us Thank you for putting this together very much. Definitely. And as I said, even if we're only moving things a molecule at a time, <laughs> we're moving forward. Moving forward. Thank you. Too cool, and everyone. Thank you for coming. Have, Have a wonderful day. Bye.